0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. We are kicking off today a new series called Wonderful Time of the Year. And um, I don't know about you all, but for, for many of us, Christmas can be one of the most wonderful times of the year, right? And part of the reason why it makes it the most wonderful time of the year is because of family. We look forward to spending time with family. Uh, You know, we can't wait to get the family together to play games, to watch movies, to eat lots of food. Like for some of you, you haven't seen your family in months or even years. And so you're really looking forward to getting the family together and spending time with them. And so family makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. Or maybe for you, the reason why Christmas is so wonderful is because of the food. You are a very traditional person. You have certain meals during the holidays, and so you eat those meals, and so you look forward to the food. I even saw a meme this week that said, uh, stressed spelled backwards is dessert. And so some of us, we love the holidays because we eat a lot of desserts during this time, right? I think for many of us, Christmas is so wonderful uh, because of the smells. We love the smells of the Christmas tree, the candles, the food again, like those things make it so awesome. Or maybe for you, it's none of those things, but what makes Christmas so wonderful is the movies. You just love watching uh, Christmas Carol. You love watching uh, maybe It's a Wonderful Life is another one, The Santa Claus, Elf, you know, Home Alone, Die Hard, you know, anybody? (laughs) You guys are a little more about that than the other service, let me tell you. And I don't know who I need to pray more for, but um, I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. You guys can have your own opinions on that as well. Uh, But uh, but we have those. maybe it's the music. You guys just love Christmas music. You turn it on on Thanksgiving. You turn it on December 1st. You're just rocking out to the Christmas music right away. You know, or, or maybe for you, it's the, the lights. You like watching other people's hard work go up on their house, or you like to be the one who puts up the lights. And so those are the things that speak most to you. For I think for a lot of us, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. We look forward to it. We love it. But I think we would all be a little naive to think that there are also some of us here today and watching online where Christmas is the worst time of the year as well. Because while Christmas is meant to be a time of joy, peace, happiness, and hope, for many of us it's the most stressful time of the year. For others of us, it's the saddest time of the year. Because it can remind us of disappointments in ourselves, maybe disappointments in in the fact that we failed as a spouse, failed as a parent. Maybe we're disappointed in our jobs. We weren't able to get that promotion or we ended up having job loss. So Christmas can be a a time of disappointment. Or maybe for you, Christmas is just a, a time when you were diagnosed recently with cancer or with some kind of disease. And so this makes it a really difficult, hard time of the year for you because you just got that diagnosis. Or it's hard because you're reminded of that loved one that's not here anymore. That spouse, that child, that parent, that grandparent. And so Christmas time doesn't have all the feels that it used to have. It's a hard time. It's a sad time. It's a stressful time and it makes it very hard. But it also can be tough because it reminds us of family issues, the divorce we experience, the financial stress, trying to find the perfect gift, making sure we get all the Christmas cards out, make sure we attend all the parties. It's maybe the movies, it's the songs, it's all of those things that make it the worst time of the year for us. But Christmas can be one of two things. The, The best time, the wonderful time, or the hardest, most stressful time of the year. Christmas seemed great as a child, you know? Seemed like it took forever to finally get there. And you finally got Christmas, and you were excited about it, and it it felt like everything, you just, you couldn't wait. Christmas time was so great as a child. But the older you get, it seems that it comes very, very quickly, and it becomes a lot harder. But no matter what you're facing today, or what your feelings on Christmas are, my challenge to you for this month and this series is if we focus on Jesus, if we fix our eyes on him, if we make Jesus our focal point, we can see the hope that this season brings. And that's why I've called to, uh, today's message: getting our wonder back. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And we're going to look all the way to verse 55. And before we even get there, in fact, in your Bible, you'll even see it's called Mary's Song of Praise. Before you even see why she's worshiping, why she's praising, we need to get a little context, a little background of what got her to this point. Because just a few verses back, uh, Mary gets a word from the angel of the Lord. And he says, hey, don't be worried. Don't freak out right now. But you're going to have a baby. And his name is going to be Jesus. And he's going to be Savior of the world. I don't know about you. But a first-time parent, and you're hearing that you're going to have the Savior of the world, and this is your first child, I mean, you got to get your parenting right. You know, no pressure at all to be a first-time parent. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's Jesus, too. You know, like, it's a lot of pressure there. And Mary had a lot of reasons why this wouldn't be the most wonderful time of the year. She probably had big plans for her life. She's engaged to Joseph. She's probably planning her wedding. She probably had her dreams of what her life would look like, where they might live, when they would have kids, how many kids they might have. But in a moment, all of that changes. When she's told by an angel to not fear, she's going to have a baby and all her plans are going to change. Everything that she wanted, everything she desired, it's all going to go a different direction. Mary must have thought, well, there goes my life. There goes everything I hoped for, everything I dreamed about. I'm not going to get that storybook wedding that I always dreamed I would have. She might have even thought about how Joseph might react when he finds out that it's not his baby. There would be names and a reputation that she would have because of that. She might have even started having thoughts about her family. Well, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to do with me? And all of the, and she thought, well, if my family's gonna reject me or Joseph's gonna uh, reject me, I'm gonna be pregnant, alone, poor, by myself, in a time when there's bad health care. I don't even know if this baby's gonna survive. And she's also fought, uh, facing possible death, too. Because at this time, women, if they were found to be impure before their wedding day, they could be stoned to death. Her life from this moment on would look completely different. This was not the most wonderful time of the year for Mary. But listen, even though she had some fears, she had some concerns, I'm sure there were some doubts and some things swirling around in her mind. She probably played out a lot of negative scenarios in her life. But what she chose to do was she chose to sing what very well could be the very first Christmas song in all of human history. And so this is the song that she sings, starting in verse 46. It says And Mary said, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The song that we read, the song that we just heard, uh, we could see that we are designed by God to understand our lives in the context of God's great story. And so whenever life is disorienting, whenever we feel like the ground beneath us is shaking, we can't get a firm footing in our lives where the ground is shaking, we need to come back to God's great story to help us understand where our foundation is. And so whether this is the most wonderful time of the year for you or the worst time of the year for you, we are going to look at Mary as she tries to make sense of the situation that she finds herself in. And the first thing I see Mary do is she replaces worrying with worship. She replaces worrying with worship. Rather than just worrying about everything that might happen to her, rather than worrying about every possible negative scenario, rather than just playing out those fears all the time in her mind, she chooses to worship. Listen, it's okay for you to be concerned about your life, concerned about your future, But when things don't work out the way we think they should, or when things don't go our way, we should choose to worship and not worry. We need to take all that energy that we would put into worrying about our life, worrying about our situations, worrying about our circumstances, and put it towards worshiping God. Worship is what we were made to do. And I don't think of worship as just singing. Worship is more than just singing. Singing is worship, but worship is more than just singing. Worship is anything that you love and focus on the most. Because whether you realize it or not, all of us here today and watching online, we all worship someone or something. Mary had a lot to be worried about, but in the midst of her hard time, she worships God. And she begins her song by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. See, what she's saying is that in my soul, even though my life is uncertain, my health, my reputation, my marriage, my family, my future, I'm poor, I'm pregnant, even though I might be facing possible death, even though everything in my life is up in the air and everything is uncertain in my life, I want God to be honored. I want God to be glorified. I want others to see how good God is and how good God has been to me. See, worshiping the Lord helps put into perspective how good God is and all the things that we have thankful, all the things that we have to be thankful for. You might be worried about certain things in your life, but listen, you need to choose to worship God through everything that you face. I love what 1 Chronicles sixteen nine says. It says, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wonderful acts. Psalm 33 says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. And some of us, we might think, well, why is God so demanding that we must sing to him? I think some people think, well, is God some egotistical maniac up in heaven or an insecure God going, tell me how great I am, you know? Like, it's been a really tough year. It's been a really tough holiday season. Would you just tell me how great I am right now? I really need to hear. I need a boost of my self-esteem right now. Tell me how good I am. God doesn't command us to praise him because he needs it. He commands us to praise him because we need it. When we're singing to God, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the alpha, the omega, the prince of peace, the beginning and the end, the author, the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. See, this holiday season, if you're sick today, you need to be reminded of who your healer is. If you're poor today, you need to be reminded of who your provider is. If you are t- here today and you're discouraged, depressed, lonely right now, you need to be reminded that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And we do all of that. We are reminded of those things often when we worship God. Yes. See, God is in charge. He is above everyone and everything. Everything. And Mary looks at her life and her future, and what she says is, you know what? The Lord's in charge, and I trust him. It's easy for us to say Jesus is Lord when things are going great. We could easily come here today and be like, Jesus is Lord when our family's healthy and everything's going well. Jesus is Lord when we have money in the bank account and everything's good. Jesus is Lord when we have presents under the tree but when things are difficult or life is uncertain, sometimes I think we could walk in here and we could go, well, I don't know about that. Worry is Lord. Finance is our Lord. Reputation is Lord. Well-being is Lord. Comfort is Lord. And Mary doesn't lean on any of those things. Even though she's going through a very difficult time, things are bad in her life right now. She goes, God is Lord. And whatever he has for me, I will receive it. Here's the second thing. We need to replace wanting with worship. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. See, we need to replace wanting with worship. Worship. Some of us, we struggle with celebrating who God is and what he's done for us because we see all the problems, all the things going on in our life. We see our situations, our circumstances, and we want or covet someone else's life or the things that they have or what God is doing in their life. And what happens is we then get jealous. See, the first step to becoming a contented person is to stop comparing yourself to everyone else around you. The problem though is that comparing coveting is America's favorite indoor sport, right? Like we do this all the time. It's very natural. What happens is we walk into someone's house and the first thing we do is we go, oh, that flooring. I wish I had that flooring. How lucky. Oh, the furniture. Oh, I would love to have this furniture. Paint. They paid for somebody to paint. I would just love to get paint, you know? I painted paint it myself. Or did you see their TV, their car, their house? We see all of those things. And we start comparing. We start coveting. We start saying, I want that. You know, you could be running errands or you could be coming to church and you see someone and you go, man, their hair always looks so great. Why can't my hair ever come out like theirs? You know, why does everything look good on them? Why do they always look like they have it all together? Nothing ever looks good on me. I feel like my whole life is falling apart. Why can't I look like that? Why can't my family be like theirs? Why can't God use me? Or why can't God do this or that in my life? And you're constantly comparing, which leaves you in a constant state of frustration. This Christmas season seems to turn all of this up to a volume 10, right? Seems to get even louder because people are looking to want or covet more things because Christmas has turned us into people who covet. We all want something and it's all done by market and advertising. You've seen the commercials. It's this perfect family walking out Christmas morning. Outside their house, there's snow on the ground, and I think they're wearing PJs. I mean, I don't ever look like that coming out of bed, but their hair is nicely combed, makeup's on. Snow's on the ground, but they're just wearing, you know, short PJs, you know. And they come out, and it's like, surprise, here's your Audi or your Mercedes in front of this picture. (laughs) Perfect house and everything. You're like, life doesn't look like that. It's not like that at all. You see the commercials, get your wife this jewelry, get get this, get that. If you have these things, then you're going to have a fulfilled life. Then all your friends, all your neighbors are going to be envious of everything you have. You've got to get these gifts. But it's not just for adults. Kids are turning into little coveters, too. I have three of them in my house right now. (laughs) I swear, we're watching a TV show. I don't care what it is. If it looks cool or has a cool sock, I need that. I get that. I want one. I want one. I'm like, what? Even Brody. He's like, all I want for Christmas is an iPhone 13. All my friends have iPhones. Why can't I? I'm like, by the way, he's not getting one. So um, <laughs> he's going to be a little disappointed. But, um, <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. He's like, I want one. It'll change my life. All my friends have it. I'm like, that's all you want? Eh, and maybe a PS5, and I need V-Bucks for my Fortnite. You know, like, it just keeps going and going and going. He's never satisfied. It's one thing after another. Even Dawson, my youngest one, he looks at me, and we're watching a TV show, and he looks at me, and he goes, oh, he sees this commercial. I don't even remember what it was, for some toy, and he just looks at it after it's done. He looks at me, and he goes, Dad, this very serious tone, and look, he goes, I need that for Christmas. You know, like that's going to change his entire life. Now, Asher, he's content. We all envy Asher. So Asher is Asher's the man in the house. He's got life figured out. But, but, the, but that's what they do. And all of Christmas is to get us to covet or to want things. And it seems like all of life is to get you to be dissatisfied, to look at someone else's life and go, why can't that be me? I want that. Why can't that happen to me? I wish I had that. Listen, it all has to stop. If you're going to learn contentment, you've got to stop comparing yourself to someone else's life. Listen, you have to learn to admire without having to acquire. You need to rejoice in other people's success without getting jealous and envious. And you got to stop feeling like everything someone else has, you have to have it too. And listen, this isn't just a good idea to stop. It's a biblical idea as well. It's a commandment. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet anything. By the way, that covers anything (laughs) that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting means an uncontrolled desire to have. You're constantly in want, you're needing to acquire. It's such an important thing to avoid. It made God's top 10 things of what not to do. It's in the Ten Commandments. But listen, we should not only just avoid wanting what other people have, but the flip side is we should av- avoid coveting what we do have. See, because coveting means to grasp tightly, to hold on to, and to not let go. The reality is a lot of us are walking around with our lives like this. We're walking around and we can't be a blessing to someone, and God can't give us a blessing because we're holding on to everything so tightly. We gotta learn to let go. If God ever gives you something and he tells you to give it away and you can't, you don't own it, it owns you. God's not saying that you should never have a desire for something. Desires are not wrong, but when it's uncontrolled, it becomes coveting. You can't have a contented life until you learn to not compare. Comparing always leads to coveting. And what Mary does here, she celebrates God's grace in her life and she calls herself blessed in verse 48. Now, is there anything about Mary's situation or circumstances based off of everything we see on the outside that we would make that we would all think, well, she's a blessed person. Again, her reputation would be ruined. She would be considered a loose girl. She would have been looked at as someone who betrayed her fiance. She's gonna be poor. She could become a single mother. Would anything about her situation make you think she is blessed? We would say no. And instead of coveting other people's circumstances and situations and what they have, what she does is worships. She sings to God and she reminds herself of who God is. She says that God is mighty, he's holy, and he is merciful. And maybe today you need to go home and you need to write down the signs of God's grace in your life. If you're struggling right now, discouraged, depressed, lonely, write down the signs of God's grace in your life. Remind yourself that he is mighty, he is holy, and he is merciful. What has God forgiven you of? What is he teaching you? How has he changed you? What circumstances has he saved you from? What opportunities is he calling you to be a part of? Write down today, write down the signs of God's grace in your life so that you, just like Mary, could say, he has done great things for me. And here's the third and final thing. Mary replaced anxiety with history. She closes out her great song with this. Verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Before her is a life of humiliation, but she knows that God has been gracious to her and she replaces her anxiety with history. She knows that God is gracious to her. He takes those who have been destroyed and he gives dignity. He takes those people in the world's eyes that have little or no value or no purpose and he gives dignity and grace to them. And this can resonate with a lot of us. Because for some of us, we've been told our whole life that we won't amount to anything, that we're going to be a failure, that we can't do certain things. And then here comes the enemy. And he goes, you're a little too sinful to be used by God. You think God can use you? You think God can forgive you? You think you're okay? God's not going to forgive you. He's going to look to get even with you. But God gives dignity and grace. See, Mary doesn't know everything that's going to happen to her. This isn't the most wonderful time of the year, but she knows who God is, and that changes everything. In fact, there's three things that she says about God here. The first one is that God is a God that helps. Verse 54, she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. See, some of us, we feel like we need to come to God, ask him, God, what do you want me to do? The truth is God doesn't need us, we need him. Our God is a giver, he's not a taker. He's humble, he's willing to get involved in your life to help you. And Mary looks at her life and she's got two options. Anxiety, what's gonna happen to me? Or history, what has God done for me? In moments of crisis and doubt, if you lean on anxiety, you're constantly gonna be in the cycle of worry and fearful about the future. And what ends up happening is you play the what if game. What if this happens? Or what if that happens? What about this? What about that? What about Joseph? What if my parents reject me? What if, what if, what if? But instead, she relies on history. I found out this week that Mary would have been illiterate And so the way that she would have learned about history, what God has done in the past, is through song. And so it's funny, in her song, she's almost going back to the lessons that she learned, the history that she had. She's like, you know what? I remember hearing about this guy named Abraham. And he was married to this woman named Sarah, and they were promised to have a child, but for one reason or another, they couldn't have this child. And, and, but then God made a promise, and he gave him a child, and the child's name is Isaac, and then came the nation of Israel. And as a result, my son, the Savior of the world, is about to come into this world. And she goes, you know what? Remembering all of that makes me realize we're good. God's been working on this for thousands of years. But here's the reality. It's very easy for us to read our Bibles And to hear these stories to go, yeah, 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 yeah. God was working that out for them for their good. I get all of that. It was easy for them to walk by faith. It's 2021. It's a little bit harder right now. There's a lot of things going on in our world. It's more difficult for us. And I'm freaking out over here. But here's what you need to know. Mary didn't know everything that was going to happen to her. She didn't have a Bible that was like, well, how's the end of the story going to work out? What's going to happen to Jesus? What's going to happen here? She didn't know the whole story. She was living this out day by day. See, the, the thing that I love about Christmas is it's the same story. It never changes. Here's the problem. We become so familiar with this story that we then come a little numb to the fact that it took faith for them to walk in these steps, for them to do the things that they did, for them to work this thing out in their life. It was just as hard for them as it's hard for us. But listen, you are serving the same God that Mary was serving. God was good to her. He'll be good to you. He was faithful to her. He'll be faithful to you. You just have to replace your anxiety with history. You need to trust that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And listen, that doesn't mean that everything in your life is gonna be fixed. (laughs) It doesn't mean that your life is gonna be like like that present under the tree, perfectly wrapped with a bow on it. It doesn't mean that. But here's what it does mean. You'll have your head on straight as you walk through whatever you walk through and you'll be able to worship your way through it. Even though everything may be looming over your head, you need to shift your focus on God's character and his promises. Your problems may be too big for you to handle, but they are not too big for God to handle. You need to change your perspective by shifting your focus. But not only is God a God that helps, he's also a faithful God. Verse 55 says, As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. What she's saying is God is totally faithful. If he says he's one way, he's going to be that way. If he says he's going to do certain things, he will do those certain things. He is a faithful God. So not only do you need to remember in times past when God has worked powerfully in your past, but you also need to remember that God makes great promises to us in his word. And listen to this. He always keeps his promises. You might be here today and you might be in a place where you feel like you're facing an impossible situation. You feel like you're being attacked from all sides and you feel like you've been praying and praying and praying and there's no relief. It feels like there's no end in sight. Listen, God isn't like us where sometimes we make promises and for one reason or another, we fail to keep them. God is a faithful God and he keeps his promises So maybe today you need to go home and you need to remind yourself of some of the promises found in God's word. You need to open up your Bible and read about the promises God has made. Maybe in a few moments when we sing again, you need to be reminded of who God is and remind yourself of those promises. But not only is God a God that helps, not only is he a faithful God, but listen, she says that he is eternal as well. Because some of us, we're reading this and we're hearing this and we go, okay, this is all good, but when's the expiration date? When does the goodness of God expire? As if God is like some milk that will eventually go bad, right? That's not it at all. In fact, in the last word of verse 55, she says he goes on forever. He is eternal. Mary replaces anxiety with history. And so for many of us, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. We get excited we look forward to this. We're in, we anticipate Christmas. We love this time of the year. We might even be super Christmas, you know? Like we just go all out for it. But for others of us, this is the worst time of the year. But I think what we can learn from this very first Christmas song, I think what we can learn from Mary's song here is there could be a lot of things that can put things into perspective for us. Because all throughout Mary's song, she's like, my God knows everything. My God knows that I'm young. My God knows that I'm poor. My God knows that I'm pregnant. My God knows that my reputation's going to be destroyed. My God knows that my life's going to be difficult. My God knows that the dress isn't going to fit. My God knows that Joseph is going to freak out when he hears the news. My God knows that it's going to be really awkward when I go to the synagogue and worship as a single mother and no husband. My God knows that eventually my ankles are going to swell and they're going to turn into cankles. But my God knows every everything. And all throughout this, during the worst time of the year for Mary, she has hope in her God. And listen, she calls herself blessed. And I was thinking about that. This isn't the only time that she calls herself blessed. In fact, an angel calls her blessed in just a few verses before that. And I was thinking about this, the fact that she's been called blessed. She's calling herself blessed. And and I thought about my own life. And I thought when I'm going through a hard season, when there's struggles in my life, one thing I did not call myself was blessed. The situations and the circumstances I was going through, I didn't walk through these hard times and in these valleys and in these struggles that I have and go, you know what? I'm so blessed. I wish that more people could feel this stuff, you know? I never thought of myself blessed or thought my situation was blessed, but that's how Mary saw herself. And I was even reminded of it, of this, this week, that being blessed does not mean living a life without suffering and bad situations. It means having the presence and promises of God in those situations. See, Mary didn't start off her song with all her complaints and stomping her feet and going, why God? Why me? Why now? Why did this have to happen? But she starts her song off by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You, just like Mary, can magnify one of two things. You can magnify all your problems, these are the worst, this is so tough. Or you can magnify the gospel that we were dead in our sins. And because of Jesus, he came, he died, he rose again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, we now have eternal life. We have a hope for heaven that while we may be suffering here on earth, going through hard times, going through struggles, Christmas may be tough and rough right now, but listen, it's only for a moment. And one day, We will be with our Savior who will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sadness, no more sorrows, no more sickness, no more death. We will be with our Savior, and that gives us a hope. See, we're all sinners, just like Mary. Mary's a sinner, and she needed a Savior. Savior means rescuer, deliverer, hero, and Jesus is on a rescue mission as the hero to be our Savior. And ultimately, her Savior would be uh, her son. And Jesus today can be your savior too. So what has you down right now? What's making this the worst time of the year for you? Where have you lost your wonder of Christmas? You're probably worried about a lot of things in your life, but have you worshiped? You're probably wanting and coveting certain things in your life, but have you worshiped God and been thankful for everything that he has given you? You might be anxious about next week, next month, next year, but have you reminded yourself of the history, what God has done in the past, and how he hasn't left you or forsaken you? Our God is Lord. He's Savior. He's in charge. He knows us, and he loves us, and this song that we read about can be your song, too, if you allow Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Amen?